1: interfacing complete, please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of stuff going on in technology as always, there's a new development in lithium ion batteries, uh, new anode material that's going to triple their capacity. The dumb idea of the week, I don't know if I'll get to it in the show, some guy hooked the chastity belt to the internet and then it was hacked.
1: A chastity belt? Yeah. It's a,
2: it's a, it's a sad
1: story. Why, I but think we need to make sure there's time for that story. It's a sad, sad
2: story, but a very interesting one, and definitely the Dumb Idea of the Week. Today we are going to feature the man who developed the cassette tape. And uh, also the man who developed the CD. Yeah,
1: he passed away. Lou
2: right? Yes, he passed away very recently, just this month. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Jim in Ashburn. Dear Doc and Jim, I spilled a large glass of Coke all over my keyboard. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. That's bad. It's, uh, that's deadly. And I immediately unplugged the, the power cable from the computer. It was uh, and disconnected the keyboard from the USB port. Now, I'm not so worried about the keyboard since I can replace it. But I was wondering whether you think it's damaged my computer, Jim in Ashburn. Well, uh, Jim, spilling liquid on the keyboard can definitely uh, damage a laptop. Uh, I've had that happen, Jim.
1: And it's not just the wet; it's the sugar that's the real problem, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and you can't you can't really you can't really you know can't really clean it up that easily. I, I had a, um, I, I had a uh, a laptop, but the keyboard was detachable. And it saved the day for me i just i could order a new keyboard and because all of the electronics was behind the screen so it uh it saved the day for me yeah the once the sugar sugar gets into the keyboard it's really hard to clean hard to clean them up you got to take it apart and really soak it it's easier just to throw away the um, throw away the whole laptop but since your uh, keyboard is attached with a usb port i don't think it got damaged at all that's that's a pretty good insulator from, the, from what's going on at the keyboard. Uh, now, I'd recommend when you replace the keyboard, get a wireless keyboard. Then you don't have that wire. And get a wireless mouse. Then you don't have no wires, and it just gives you a lot more freedom. But I don't think you'll have any trouble uh, replacing your, uh, your keyboard, Jim. I don't think there's any damage to your laptop. We got an email from Tracy in San Francisco. Dear Doc and Jim, I've noticed that sometimes when I look at someone's profile – On Facebook, there's no add friend button. I don't know if it's always been that way, but I just started noticing a few days ago. Sometimes there's add friends, sometimes there isn't. Uh, Is there some way to send a friend request to those people if there's no button? Tracy in San Francisco. Well, when you do not see an add friend button to someone's profile, that means the user has blocked anyone who isn't a friend of someone who's already on the friends list from being able to send a friend request. Some people just don't want to see friend requests from anybody. They want to only have it from friends or friends of friends. Uh, and they have uh, that some, They don't want to connect with anybody they've got no connection with. Now, if you're inclined to do so, you can put a similar re- restriction on your Facebook page, Simply uh, open, up the, uh, open up your uh, Facebook on a desktop or a laptop and, and click on the down arrow on the right side of the Facebook menu bar. Then click on Settings and Privacy. Then click on Settings. Then click on Privacy in the left-hand column. Scroll down to uh, a line that says How People Find and Connect With You. And then click on, when, and then uh, there you'll see something that says, who can send you friend requests? And that window will give you two options, everyone or friends of friends. And uh, if you only want friends of friends being able to connect with you, click on friends of friends. The process is similar on the mobile device. We got an email from Carla in Woodbridge. Dear Tech Talk, I've decided to eat healthy. Oh, congratulations, Carla. A friend suggested I download a QR code uh, scanning app so I can get the nutrition info for foods on restaurant menus. Now, I went to a restaurant for lunch yesterday and saw an item that really looked good. I tried to open the QR code scanning app, but it wouldn't open. Last night, I tried opening the app again. It still wouldn't open. Then I uninstalled the app and tried to download it again, but I couldn't find it on Google Play. Can you recommend a good QR code scanning app for the my Android phone, Carla in Woodbridge? Well, Carla, your old QR code scanning app has been removed from the Google Play Store. That's why it wouldn't work. That's why you couldn't find it. The most common reasons that uh, apps are removed is that either the company's going out of business, or the company got caught using their app for nefarious things like loading malware on with the app. That's always a problem. The good news is that most modern smartphones can read QR codes just fine via their native camera app. I'm quite certain that your your camera can do that. Just open up the camera app, point it at the QR code, and and when you point it at the QR code, it should actually lock on that QR code and a web page should come up. Now, if that doesn't happen, you may want to go to your camera settings for your camera and activate QR code scanning. It could be that your camera, you've got to activate QR code scanning, but it should be native with the, uh, with the camera. By the way, iPhones work the same way. Just, you can scan QR codes with your, with your, um, with the, the native camera that's built into the iPhone. So best of luck with your diet, Carla. We got an email from Chuck in Baltimore. Dear tech talk. Uh, I've got a one-terabyte hard drive in my uh, computer, and it started making noise. I think it's a—
1: Doc, are you there? Doc? Why, I think we lost Dr. Shirts. Did you lose me? Yeah, I did lose you. Am I back? You're back now, yeah. You've been having an back. internet mess down there.
2: I have been. That's uh, really disconcerting. I thought I was back on track here with everything. It was
1: gone, gone, it- gone.
2: Is it gone now?
1: No, you're there. You're there. You're you're you're, you're as we say in radio. You're five by five right now.
2: All right. All right. I don't D- know what's going on here.
1: March onward, soldier. We'll keep an ear. I'm going to march onward.
2: So okay. Chuck in Baltimore wanted to get a one terabyte drive for his computer, and I say, Chuck, that's a great idea. Uh, you get replace that failing hard drive. You can get a one terabyte solid state hard drive, a Western Digital one. Uh, on Amazon for eighty nine dollars, and the Western Digital hard drives are really good. I've been using them. That this particular one's got over thirty six thousand positive reviews. Uh, now, your uh, solid state hard drive is going to have to have a a, a blank slot. You, you're going to have to have an open two and a half inch drive bay in your computer. If you don't have one, you you can always get an inexpensive two-and-a-half drive bay adapter bracket so you can mount it inside your PC case. But should be easy to do, and best of luck, Chuck, with your new hard drive. We got an email from Doug in Pittsburgh. Dear Tech Talk, I recently read an article about using hard drives or SSDs in a RAID configuration. The article said that RAID 1 copies all the data to every uh, drive in the array it also said it effectively uh, clones your device. RAID 1, you you basically, if you've got two drives, it will put the same information on both drives. One guy said, then you don't need a backup because you're copying to, to to both drives at the same time. You've got an automatic backup. And then somebody else said, no, it's a bad idea. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do, I, do I need an extra backup if I use RAID 1? Doug in Pittsburgh. Well, Doug, I'd have to go with the second comment. It's a bad idea to use that as your backup. Now... The reason that you go to RAID is that in case you have a hard drive failure and the server's operating, you've got no downtime. You can basically swap in a new uh, replacement hard drive and you're good to go. And so you use these RAID configurations to give maximum uptime to servers. But it's really not a good backup. For instance, suppose the power grid coming into your house is struck by lightning. Both drives will get knocked out. Suppose you accidentally delete a file from your hard drive. It'll be deleted on both files. You won't have a backup. Suppose your computer gets infected with a horrible ransomware virus. Both hard drives get infected, uh, whereas a backup off-site would not. Suppose your house burns down. You lose both hard drives without a backup. Suppose a burglar breaks into the house and steals your computer and your hard drives. So you see, there are many reasons why you want to back up at another location. Yes. So the raid, the raid one will keep your server and your computer up always. So you don't, won't be down, but you want to really back up maybe to the cloud. So you got a second backup at another location. We got an email from joy in Ashburn, Uh dear Doc and Jim, um, my seven-year-old laptop stopped working, and uh, and uh, you know, so I inst- i installed. Uh, I got a new one, Windows 10. I inst- went through the whole installation process, and it asked me to create a pin. So I created a four-number pin, and then I was reading that somebody said these pins aren't very secure. That you should really use the uh, the password because you know it's easy to guess them. The pin. So now I want to delete the PIN, but I don't know how to do it. And, it. and even though I'm using the password to log on, it always has the PIN option. Well, um, uh, Joy, in fact, the four-digit PIN is not very secure. But the fact is, you can select the length of the PIN. Uh, it just gave you a, a four-digit di- option. You can go back into Setup, and you can change the length of the PIN. Make it. You can make it as long as you want. But if you want to get rid of the PIN completely, just click on the Start button. Then click on the settings icon, that's the little gear, then click on accounts, then click on the sign in options, and then click on the Windows Hello pin, that's what they call it, the Hello pin, and then click remove. And then want to click remove again, and once you do that, boom, your pin is gone, you can just do it with your passwords only. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at Stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
1: You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, 1045 FM HD 2 in Loudoun County, and southwest of D.C. now on 1077 FM HD 2. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and learn how you can go there by going to stratford.edu.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard shirts of Stratford University
2: with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And I'm Dr. Richard Church. Yes, you now are. it is time for...
0: Profiles in IT.
2: Yes, I'll get this right eventually, Jim. We got... Today, we're going to feature Ludwig Frederick Ottens. Nickname Lou Ottens. Lou <laughs> Probably Ottens a good was idea. a. Yes, it's much easier to pronounce it. How I mean, about, his mother said, Ludwig Frederick? How about this? What are you up to? <laughs> how about Ludwig Friedrich?
1: What do you th- Yes. In Dutch, do you think that might be. A-
2: I think that's much better, Jim. That is much, much better. So, Lou Ottens was a Dutch engineer an inventor best known for inventing the cassette tape and being involved with the development of the compact disc, the CD. Ottens was born in Bellingwold, Netherlands. What do you think? How do you pronounce that, Jim? I June 21st, 1926. I think
1: you got that one.
2: As a child, he's passed his time playing with the Meccano model construction set. Now, in the U.S., we call that the erector set. Ah. Uh. You know, you, you you screw all these things together and make all sorts of cranes and models. He was he he was mechanically inclined.
1: I now, he built- always cut myself on the Erector set. There were sharp edges. You remember that?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, they were. I loved the Erector set, especially I loved the when they started having electric motors, so you could get them to do things. Yeah, I, I just loved playing yep. with those.
1: We weren't that ex- we weren't that rich.
2: Now, as a teenager, uh, he built a radio. Uh, this was, by the way, when. Uh, when the during World War II, when Denmark was occupied by Germany, uh, he built a radio uh, so his parents could receive Radio Orange. It's <laughs> Radio Orange, which was a uh, broadcast out of the BBC in London uh, in uh, in Danish, which was giving them updates about the status of the war. And he had a directional antenna on it uh-huh which he called his german filter <laughs> so he could avoid the jammers used by the nazis that's funny so even then he was like interested in electronics uh Auten served in the dutch air force although he was stationed on the ground because of poor eyesight so
0: he <laughs> his dream was thing. to become a
2: pilot but uh he never he never made it there after the war, he attended Delft University of Technology, where he studied, you guessed it, mechanical engineering. There you go. While attending university, Auden's uh, worked part-time as a drafting technician for an x-ray uh, technology factory. He actually didn't, didn't have enough money to pay his tuition. He, he worked his way through school with this part-time job. He, he, worked, he worked about half-time and worked his way through school. He graduated in 1952. Uh, he was immediately hired by Philips, and that's a company he stayed with his entire career. Now, he started with the mechanization department uh, in, uh, in the main industry group in 1952, because he was a mechanical engineer. In 1957, he was transferred to, the, to a factory in Hasselt, Belgium. Now, this factory mainly produced audio equipment, including turntables, tape recorders, and loudspeakers. In 1960, uh, he became head of the new product development department in Hotsup, and he led the development of Philips' first reel-to-reel portable tape recorder, uh, the EO3585. You remember those they were like they were like as big as a bread box really yeah. and the reels were probably uh 12 inch reels 8 mm-hmm. to 12 inch reels they were they were actually yep. not that portable but they at least they you could pick them up and carry them right it was quite successful it sold over a million units two years later Auden's made the biggest breakthrough in his life and it was born out of his annoyance with these reel-to-reel tapes. One night, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to thread the tape through the recorder, and he just got so fed up with it. He said, "Come on, there's got to be a better way." Yep. He said, "We need to develop a tape recording system where you don't have to feed the tape; it's just all taken care of automatically, yep. and it ought to be small enough." To fit in your pocket. Uh huh. I mean, if it's really portable, it ought to fit in your pocket. And so, Otten's cut out a block of wood <laughs> to fit inside of his pocket. And he cut different shapes to get a, you know, he liked, you know, he wore suits. He's a formal guy. So, yeah. it would be on the inside uh, inside uh, breast uh, pocket, pocket on his suit. Breast, yes. yeah, the, yeah, the breast pocket on his suit. So, he got it so it would fit very comfortably in that pocket. And he used that as his model. Uh, and he developed a, a cassette, a portable cassette recorder that was the size of that block of wood, the EL3300. Now, he had to uh, create a, uh, a tape that would fit into this thing. Mm-hmm. So they created a tape that was, you know that, you know, that we know and love now. It's that plastic, and the all the tape is contained within the cassette, and it just reels from one side of the cassette to the other. It was the old cassette tape recorder. No open reels. Everything was self contained. So they presented the first tape, cassette tape, along with the tape recorder at the Electronics Fair in Berlin. And the tagline was smaller than a pack of cigarettes.
1: <laughs> they were?
2: Now, I, I, I don't think that tagline would work anymore, Jim. No. Uh, but no. I guess but back in the day, that was a good tagline. Smaller
1: line. than your iPhone.
2: Now, smaller than your iPhone, that would be a better tagline. Now, it turned out though that uh, that video of this conference made it over to pictures of the conference made it to Japan, and pretty soon there were uh, Japanese knockoffs of this miniature tape recorder, but they weren't as small and they weren't as good. Now, in particular, uh, there was uh, a rival of Philips was in working on this thing in Japan, Sony. Now I think the thing that's incredibly uh far sighted on the part of Lou Ottens. He always went to the competition and tried to get a unified world standard. I mean it's really quite exceptional. So he flew to Japan and he met with Sony. And Sony was getting ready to release another type of cassette tape, different size, different format, you know, you really? know the, the you know the drill. Yeah. And uh And he said, what we're going to do, he said, he convinced the Philips executives to release all the patents on their cassette design, because Sony was not able to get the the small size that they had achieved. And when Philips was able to share their technology with Sony, Sony agreed that they would have one standard for the cassette tape that would be a worldwide standard. And that would ensure that cassettes made by Philips or cassettes made by Sony Sony would fit in any recorder. That was a staggering result Mm -hmm. because we didn't have a cassette tape war, as they say. And the rest is history. And that led to mixtapes that are beloved by teenagers because up to that point, you just had records uh, and you had to buy the record, but you couldn't put a bunch of songs in one location. But all of a sudden, teenagers could make mixtapes of their favorite songs and take them anywhere. Yep. And what what would have been some of the songs that they played back then on those mixtapes, well, Jim?
1: You know, we were gonna we we're gonna get into this because Ottens also worked on the CD. Now, oh, we could, we'll get into some of those. We'll get into the things. music later. Oh. You know, I I wish uh, now Andrew, our producer. Uh, was telling me before the show that he made a bunch of mixtapes as a DJ when he was a kid, and I wish I wish he'd brought some of those in. I would have. He loved could have to... brought some of those
2: because this was back. This cassette tape was released around 1963, uh, 1964, right? And that that was the so all the music back then would have been on mixtapes.
1: It would have been like, um, uh, oh gosh, you know, I, but when did it take off? I mean, it was, it was first in '63, but I would have suspected it wasn't like everything else it took a little while to become into the mainstream yeah
2: probably 60 by 67 probably yeah. took a few years right. but they had a they had a uniform standard that was really because of Lou Ottens so there wouldn't have been a uni- Cause I, Stoney doesn't play nicely usually and uh, but he got them to play nicely
1: and, and you know it's funny, now, you, th- you think think yes? back about it getting a cassette player in your car that took a long time because back in the day, back in that period, all you had were AM radios in cars. It took for a while for FM and then for a cassette. That was a big deal when you got that. It, it
2: was a big deal. I mean, yeah. I, I used to have a cassette tape in my car. Again, you were from I mean, I never tracks. My my cassette tapes were always seemed to be jammed. That was another problem. That was but, the other uh, thing
1: I was thinking about. Whenever you spent any distance out of a car walking down the street, how many cassette tapes did you see thrown on the street with a, with a tape ripped out of it where it would jam, and they just pulled it out of the yeah. cassette player and threw it out the window?
2: So I, so I learned the trick. I would take a pencil, yep. and I'd put it in one of the holes and, like, turn the pencil and then wind the tape back up on one of the reels. Exactly. I became an expert on saving cassette tape reels using the pencil trick
1: that's see well, you know a, a, the mind of a, a physicist would would do that
2: yeah now in 1972 he became technical director of the phillips main industry group audio now in that position he realized that laser technology was being researched at phillips for video records and that the laser could also be used for audio records. So using the resources from the Nat Lab, that was the lab under him, he designed a new solid-state laser that was smaller and more suitable for uh, recording audio. Now, and so his, goal, his dream was to create a, uh, a recording medium that would be read with the laser because he knew that records... Uh, the more you play the record, the more it gets worn and there's distortion in the record and it doesn't stay in its pristine condition right. when you use it. And we needed to replace it with something better. He also knew that the cassette tape had a lot of background static that you couldn't get rid of. And he said, we need something better. So then they started working on the uh, uh, laser technology for reading, uh, reading uh, these disks. And they started out initially with analog technology. And he said, you know... I got the same background noise problem going analog as we did with the old uh, cassette tape. So then he decided to go to digital technology where they basically digitally encode the uh, the music and then they read, off, read it off in digital format. And so they started working on that. He actually formed a team of technicians that were experts on digital format. And they realized their first full model of a digital uh, optical disc in March of 1979. And they released it in a conference at Edenhoven. Now, as you might expect, Sony was also working on this. So he flew uh, yet again to Japan and met with the executives at Sony. It turned out that Phillips was ahead in the digital development and optical recording, uh, uh, And but they had not. uh, It 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 turned out Sony uh, uh, was ahead of Philips in digital and optical recording, but they hadn't found a way to reduce the size of the laser. So Philips had part of the technology, and Sony had another part of the technology. And Ottens convinced Sony to create one standard and not have the Philips standard and the Sony standard. So in 1980. They released the 12-centimeter Philips Sony CD standard that was the worldwide standard for compact discs.
1: That's pretty And that amazing. was really
2: another big breakthrough.
1: Amazing that these two companies uh, worked together to get these two things done and standardized. Because we were talking last night over dinner about things that didn't work because they weren't standardized. AM stereo never worked because they couldn't come up with a standard convention for AM stereo. Yep. But that's that's and, pretty interesting. But it
2: was strictly because of Lou Ottens. He was the guy that made that happen. He was a he was really trying to uh, trying to achieve a worldwide standard. And so now we all know the CD. It's been everywhere. Now, when he got back from his trip to Japan, he they 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 moved him to the video group, and they started working on the development of the VCR. Now, as it turned out, he was not so successful in the video recording market. Mm-hmm. Because we ended up with a video format war, if you remember.
1: Yeah, yep. Beta
2: VHS, VHS versus Betamax. Yep. Well, it turned out that, as you might expect, Sony had a, fo- had a format, uh, Betamax. And uh, there was another Japanese uh, company uh, that had another format, VHS. And, uh, and so it was uh, JVC. Mm-hmm. That was the Victor Corporation of Japan. JVC, they had they had another format, VHS, and um, and Victor was not allowed to convince Sony to um, you know to have one format. As it turned out, Phillips didn't quite get to the game quickly enough to have an influence there. Even though Oaten was still at Phillips, Phillips came out with a consumer grade VCR, released that in 1972. Uh, the with in a in their own VCR format but it was just not as good as VHS mm-hmm. or Betamax so he was not in that so he was not in the play there so he could not get Sony to agree to a single format so we ended up with the with with the beta Betamax versus
1: VHS, VHS.
2: and in the end VHS won because it was Cheaper. I was going to say, it,
1: VHS became more popular, but the, the great thing about the beta tapes was that they, they were smaller. They took up less space, didn't they?
2: Yeah, they were smaller, but you couldn't put an entire movie on them. Their, their initial length was too short for oh, a full-length movie. Didn't know that. Uh, yeah, so there, there were issues there, but uh, but it, it ended up just being cheaper. It was, it was higher quality, but it was quality that people didn't really care about. <laughs> they just wanted cheap. You <laughs> right, know? right. So... So Lou was not able to unify the world in video recording, unfortunately. He retired in 1986, but, but he stayed active in the field of technology for, for many years. He became the, Dutch, the chair of the Dutch Association for Logistics Management. Uh, now, looking back, more than 100 billion cassette tapes were sold, and more than 200 billion CDs have been sold. Now, mm. somebody asked Ottens what he regretted. He said his biggest regret is that Sony brought out the first Walkman. He said it still hurts that Phillips didn't bring that one out. Yeah. Ottens died March 6, 2021 at age 94. So there you go, everything you needed to yeah. know about Lou
1: Ottens, so the we, man who helped unify
2: the standards.
1: So we talked about uh, CDs and music, and every time we talk about this every so often, we, we play the music that was first released. The first music on CD was actually classical music, and it was um, a compilation of Chopin's waltzes, which is what we're listening to now. This is—I'm going to mess this up. It's Grand Vals Briante, in E-flat major opus 18 here on Federal News Network.
2: Oh, yes. It brings back memories. Does it now? Oh, yeah. Of your prom? Oh, yeah. (laughs) By the prom. I have to say, Jim, that was not on my mixtape, though.
1: I I, uh... (laughs) can't—it might have been on mine— Um, But then, but the first popular music was uh, released uh, was ABBA. And it was the album called Visitors, The Visitors. But I don't remember a single song. So this is the title track, The Visitors. In fact, I'm going to skip a little bit forward here. And uh, because this just goes on and on and on. I don't remember this at all. I don't know. I think
2: they must have gotten a new producer when they finally got popular. Well,
1: they <laughs> did because then they released this, which is the whole point of playing the music is playing this, <laughs> the best. Album oh song yeah, ever. <laughs> dancing queen. There you go. Oh yeah. So this was queen a,
2: Elizabeth's favorite song.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the, it's the official to- song of Tech Talk. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> that was the um, that was the, uh, the the first music on CD, and now CDs are no more. You know? No. Everything is digital.
2: Now it's MP3. Exactly.
1: That's right. Uh, Are we finished? We're finished with Mr. Otten's, right? We're finished with Mr.
2: Otten's. Yes, we are.
1: Excellent. Well, I hope you're paying attention because there was a lot there. uh, And maybe you were recording this at home on your cassette deck. And you can answer the question we're going to ask in pod, the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2. And also on 104.5 FM uh, HD. Uh, rather, that's in Loudoun County, southwest of D.C. We're on 107.7 FM HD 2. Learn more about Stratford University by going to Stratford.edu.
3: Featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schurz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I
2: really do appreciate all that applause. I know you do. But of course, it is Classroom of the Airways, and you might be laughing now, but after the pop quiz, you may be crying. (laughs) <laughs> earlier in the show I talked about Lou Ottens of course he's best known as for inventing the cassette tape and being involved with the development of the compact disc now when he was first coming up with the idea of the cassette tape recorder how did he decide what size to make it
3: ok if you know the answer to today's question now's your chance to pick up the phone give us a call dialing from Weston and Rockies it's 877-936-9333. Standing next to a pile of broken cassette tapes east of Playa del Scherz, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're a dancing queen in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly with a magnetic degausser. 877 3639 333 Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Jertz.
1: I figured that was, yes. you know, degaussers is what, what? we use to clean the cassette. Well, back in radio, we used carts, which look like an 8-track tape. Oh, and,
2: yeah, those are the bigger
1: ones. Yep, yeah. and, and the way to clean those is you had to uh, wave them over a degausser, which is basically a giant magnet.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that. I used to do some of that stuff a long time ago. My dad was in video video recording. He had some, some of the first video recorders, and he'd have to demagnetize the tapes.
1: Now, Doc, in the early computers, weren't, weren't, weren't tapes used to record uh, of, uh, things on the, com- on the computer?
2: In the beginning, they were used. They used tapes. This was before they had hard drives. Yeah, that right. was the first. And they would actually have digital tapes, and you'd go to a particular location, and that tape would be zinging back and forth, just like it was reading off of a hard drive. Uh, but the, it was guess, slow. It was slow.
1: Now, in order right. to, could you reuse those? Would you clean those off of the degausser and then reuse them, or no, Oh
2: yeah, you could reuse yeah. those. Okay. Yeah. that was a long, long time ago. Yep. I mean, and, and uh, I used to, uh, you know, I used to, uh, you know, they used to have to load my programs onto the computer. They'd have to load, load the disks on the computer. They've, and they were, I think my programs back in the day were on tape and they, they'd load the tape onto the computer and read the program into the computer. So that's, that's, that's why they say load the disk goes mm-hmm. back to the days. Jim, billions of cicadas are set to merge in the U.S. What? this year.
1: You're kidding me. Billions of them. It turns out that they come up
2: every 17 years. I think they're here early.
1: They're here early, Doc. Look out, Doc.
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. What they do, these cicadas burrow underground when they're babies, and they suck fluids from the roots of plants as they grow. And then after 17 years, they come up, and they fly around. Now, the last such event happened in 15 states, including New York, Ohio, Illinois, Georgia, in 2004. That was 17 years ago. Now, cicadas won't harm people, but if pets eat too many of them, they may become ill. Now, but they're loud. I mean, a a male, when they're doing their mating call, can be as loud as 100 decibels. (laughs) <laughs> they basically do these songs by vibrating two rigid drum-like membranes on the underside of their abdomen. Now, let me tell you why this is significant to me, Jim. Why is 2004. This? Because you won't be able to sleep? was the year that Gmail came out. Ah. And back then, you could only get a Gmail account from one of the Google employees. hmm And they were not publicly available. So I posted on a forum that was read by Gmail employees that I would, if they would give me a Gmail account, I would send them a gift wrap package of chocolate-covered cicadas. I
1: remember this.
2: Made by my culinary department. And so somebody from uh, Google contacted me. And I bundled up 24 chocolate-covered cicadas, put them in dry ice, and shipped them out to California. And I got my Gmail account back in 2004. That's why these cicadas are so near and dear to my heart. I do remember (laughs) that.
1: This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and now southwest of Washington on 1077 FM HD 2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
3: Observations from the bunker.
2: Ah, yes. That door just gets louder and louder. This week in the bunker was really a tough week for me. Yeah. Uh, I lost internet down here at the Bay house. It turned out there was noise on the line and the uh, cable company just disconnected me from the network without telling me. And I could not get anything to work at all. And this was several days before my board of trustees meeting. I had to upload documents to my Dropbox so the board could review the documents for read ahead. I couldn't upload them from the house. No internet, and I didn't have enough bars on the, uh, my cell phone to use uh, the data side of my cellular connection, which was really minimal. Because I'm mostly on Wi-Fi calling whenever I'm at the house, so I don't use any of the uh, cellular connection. So I had to drive around town searching for free Wi-Fi. I uh you know was a, wi- a Wi-Fi beggar. I went to the Rappahannock Art Council. They had terrible <laughs> speeds. They had free the Wi-Fi but really really low l- low speeds. I went to the uh to the uh Kilmarnock Library. Their <laughs> speeds were a little bit low. Finally, the best connection I could get was McDonald's. Uh, I got a 25 megabit download speed and six megabit upload, which was which was a sufficient for me to upload all my documents to the uh, to the board for the for the board meeting. I um, But I had to park very close to the uh, to the uh, to the building so I could get a strong signal. So I pulled right up in front, right in front of the glass windows there
1: blocking the uh, the drive through line, right? No, yeah, no, I, no, I didn't
2: block the drive-through th- line, but I was, I was parked. They, the parking places right in front are basically handicapped. So I pulled right up into a handicapped parking oh, place, uh, but there were others, so I wasn't, like, taking the, the, the last one. Uh-huh. And I pulled very up close, and I was facing the uh, uh, McDonald's as I was doing all my work. And the staff kept looking out at me, saying, what is this guy up to? Because you couldn't go in. And they were getting a little worried about me, uh, you know. I was sitting there, and they were watching me. He said, Is "This guy casing the joint. He's going <laughs> to come in here and like steal some cheeseburgers or something."
1: It's the hamburger uh, in the parking lot.
2: The hamburger. Yeah, they were a little worried about me, but I <laughs> I uploaded all my documents. I actually had enough bandwidth. I could have done the show from from there because I, you know, we only do one hundred and four one hundred and forty four kilobit per second upload download. So I had enough bandwidth to do the entire show. But um, uh, I decided probably I shouldn't do it, especially when uh, I, to- I told Jim about my plan and he was highly skeptical that it would work.
1: <laughs> so you, you burned I, up a couple of tanks of gas to get it done by coming back up here.
2: I know, but I had no idea. Uh, first of all, without internet, I had no internet TV. I had no Alexa for my timers. My... Normally, I open my garage door with my iPhone because I got my garage door connected to the internet. Uh, I couldn't open the garage door with my iPhone. No Dropbox uploads for the board meeting. <clears throat> no Skype for the radio show. Yep. Even my hydroponic garden was offline. And I couldn't watch my plants grow by video. I actually had to put a chair and just watch my hydroponic grow in person.
1: Isn't that, isn't that how you figured out that this was a problem was because you couldn't watch the garden from afar?
2: That's how I knew the internet was out because the garden, the garden feed went out. The garden video the feed garden went feed. out. And so I drove down to see what was going on. And then they had disconnected me from the network. So I called the help desk. But they didn't tell you. And, and they didn't even tell me. Then uh, the help desk said, well, it looks like your router's fried So I went and bought another router just as a backup, put that on. It had the same behavior. There was no upload-download connectivity. So when the guy came out, he said, yeah, they disconnected you. And he he connected me back up again, and my router worked perfectly. But he said, you had noise on the line, and we disconnected you. So he went in and tightened up all of the uh, connectors. And uh, so I still don't know what the noise was caused by. I did have... Uh, Ethernet powerline Ethernet here, and both of my powerline Ethernet boxes are blown out. They're they're not working, so I'm wondering whether that could have been part of it. I'm not really certain, but I began to realize, you know, you don't realize the problem that kids have if they don't have internet at home and then school goes right. completely online. Yep. I mean, you, I mean, I understood that in spades. I mean, you you're really stuck. And, you know, you can, it's, um, uh, and so I think that we've got to be aware of this problem because it, uh, you know, it was, it really was, I felt like I was like, uh, you know, isolated without the internet now on the, uh, on, on the plus side, when you don't have internet, you don't have the distractions of online, it's extremely peaceful.
1: <laughs> There's that.
2: So I could sit there then I could meditate and watch my plants grow. I could sit out <laughs> by the, on the chair outside and watch the waves. So if I wouldn't have had the, uh, the task of preparing the show and delivering the show, if I wouldn't have had the task of preparing for the board meeting, uh, actually three days of isolation may not have been bad. And many people have said, you know, when you get off the grid, somehow your tension levels go down. And I did notice that. But then they would go right up again when I realized all the stuff I had to do.
1: Right, yeah. The so it's been a week life.
2: without internet, and uh, I'm glad that it's working now, although we had some spotty connection earlier. I don't know what caused that.
1: Yeah, it seems to be okay, knock wood.
2: Well, you know, I, I pushed the microphone connector more solidly into the laptop. Maybe Maybe it was just a loose connection on the microphone. I, I don't know. This guy, Sam Summers, connected his chastity belt. To the internet. <laughs> Sam Sonners was sitting at home. This is a kind of a funny story, and it tells you the you really got to watch out for these hackers.
1: Funny, with funny his, if you're with not here.
2: Private parts wrapped in an internet connected chastity cage, and then he got a weird message that said they've taken control of his cage and they will not release him unless he sends them a thousand dollars in bitcoin. <laughs> now, Immediately, he thought his girlfriend was playing a trick on him, so he called her. She said, no. She was supposed to be the one controlling it. She said, no, I I don't have any access to it anymore. It's gone. So then he thought, oh my goodness, these guys have hacked it. Well, it turned out that Summers is one of several people who purchased this device last year, Cellmate by QI, Q-I-U-I, a a Chinese-based manufacturer. And it turned out that uh, someone had released uh, analysis of this device, and Qui had left open one of the application program in- interfaces, APIs, which made it very easy to hijack a device. So somebody with that information started hijacking these devices. And so he sent them a $1,000, and they said, well, okay, now we want more money. <laughs> so, he said, <laughs> so he said, well, this isn't going anywhere. So it turned out at home he had a... Uh, he, he, uh, he, he, he was, uh, he had, he had a, he, had a, hammer.
1: <laughs> oh, he, had,
2: he no. had a hammer and he had a bolt cutter. And, uh, and so he managed to cut this thing off his private part, uh, with only suffering minor, minor injury. He was bleeding a little bit, but not too bad. Oh. Now, if you, these devices, you can go to store. I will they are $169, these devices. I mean, so why, that is the dumb idea of the week.
1: Why would you buy one of these things in the first place? Is it because I, his girlfriend didn't trust him?
2: I Maybe. Maybe it's just a game they play. I have no idea. I don't want to go there. <laughs> they, 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 now, now the thing is, Jim, I went to that. I, they said they're sold out. They only have two sizes, long and short, and they're sold
1: out. <laughs> I think we've taken this topic as far as we can.
2: I think we can certainly move on. Exactly. Yes, please. I thought I'd talk about a, a technology that I've got down here at the Bay House. Okay. I just got a green light to put in the water beside the dock. A it's an arc light. lamp that's down on the bottom, a 250-watt arc lamp, and I put it about 15 feet off the dock. And it turns on at night and then it attracts minnows that circle around. And then pretty soon, big fish come in to eat those minnows. Pretty soon, bigger fish come in to eat those minnows. Until finally, I've got a whole seafood buffet right out there beside my dock. Or a shark. shark. I haven't seen sharks yet. But here's the amazing thing. This morning, my... my, um, Green light was on. I finished preparing tech talk at five AM. It was still dark. The green light was still on. I went out to my dock. I caught five fish in thirty minutes. I mean And they're all and they're all about two pounds. I mean two pounds or larger. So
1: you caught them?
2: Yeah, with a fishing rod. Yeah. Wow. I just fish with minnow I I just actually it's artificial bait. It looks like a minnow. Yeah. So what I'm I'm getting here striped bass, which some people call rockfish. Yeah. I'm I'm getting here uh, puppy drum, which are small red drum fish, and I'm also and I've also got a spotted uh, a speckled trout. That's what I'm picking, and, and they're and I'm they're all about two 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 and a half pound fish.
1: Are they? Uh, is this dinner?
2: Yeah, this will be dinner. We're I mean, gonna have what, the, uh... you know, I just I just have to get Marianne to clean them, and then and then and then we're going to be good to go. Oh, so it turns it yeah. turns out it's easier to catch the fish than it is to clean them.
1: So yeah, so <laughs> Marianne gets to clean them. How nice. We have uh, the Gordons of Gloucester fishermen on the line here, and uh, so we'll have fish sticks down at the the Bay House tonight. How nice. That's right.
2: So this this tech it's really interesting. You can also get green LEDs. But the green LEDs are not hot, so if you leave them in the water, barnacles completely coat the LED light. So you have to take it out all the time. But with this arc lamp, because it gets so hot, it burns the barnacles off, so barnacles don't stick to the arc lamp. Why and so I, can the, just, leave, I can just leave it in the water, and it burns every night. Why yeah. does
1: the green light attract fish?
2: Uh, I don't know, but it does. They, they just love it. They just circle around it.
1: Now I would have thought you would have had this hooked us up to some sort of solar detection thing that would turn it off when the when the daylight comes out.
2: It does. It, auto, it Oh, turns it does on automatically. Yeah, it's it's on it's on a solar cell and it turns on and off automatically. Ah, gotcha. So, but it is amazing. As soon as you know, I go out there and it turns on in the evening. You'll see the minnows come first, and within half an hour, you just see the big fish circling, and there and and a lot of it. Th- there's some really big fish down a little bit deeper. And 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 you can see their shadow as they go over the the lamp. You you sort of see the shadow projected mm-hmm. on this thing. So that's my latest fish technology.
1: That's that's really interesting. We decided to head out into the boat here. Yeah, we're uh, we're out in the. Uh... Stratford Sound. We're out Stratford Sound. We're we decided fishing. To, we decided, yeah. Uh, Jim, uh,
2: you ever, you, you, you've done much fishing? you like to...
1: When I was a kid, I did a lot of fishing because I spent a lot of time on a boat that was tied to the dock. It didn't go anywhere. So it was the only thing my brother and I could do to kill time was fish. But I haven't fished in a long time.
2: Uh, I, I used to fish for catfish and for bass and then more recently for trout, mm-hmm. just on the freshwater side. But I always wondered, why are fish white? It's a good question. Because you get, you know, you, if you buy a nice steak, you're never going to see a white steak. It's, you no. Know, you're never going to see a white steak or a white piece of beef. Uh, uh, now, you you know, chicken meat, the chicken's a little on the white, white, side, white yes. side, but it's not. Uh, and so the question is, why is it white? Well, it turns out that uh, muscle is made of two kinds of fibers. Mm-hmm. You have to call the slow fiber. Now, the slow fire burns fats. To provide energy, you, you, Jim, you're gonna to have to change the bait. I don't think you're getting anything. No, you know, we I need to throw some yeah, chum overboard or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't no, know. You, you put a you now put a bigger worm on your hook. Though, you know, <laughs> you, you put a bigger. Put a bigger worm,
1: yeah, Jim. I'm good at catching old Jim, tires in Jim, refrigerators. Jim, Jim,
2: you, you can't be throwing M80s and fireworks in no. the water.
1: That's not. You can't fish that way. It's too. not nice to the no, fish.
2: No, it isn't. Well, they have slow fires now. They burn fat to provide energy. Now these muscles need oxygen to operate. And so these slow fibers are well suited for working continuously, like walking around. Mm -hmm. So you'd see slow fibers would be on most of the animals that are in the, uh, you know, walking around. Now, fast fibers, they burn glycogen, and they do not need oxygen to burn. Fast fibers don't need myoglobin, they're always white. Fast fibers can only operate in short bursts. Now, the, fi- the fast fibers are short, and they fall apart when they're cooked. So you see, fish, by and large, they just sit around most of the time, and they'll have that quick burst of energy. Right. And so for the kind of bursty kind of uh, of, uh, of of life that a fish has, they'd have a fast fiber, uh, and that would be, of course, white. Now, land animals need to support their own weight, so they have typically have slow fibers. I guess... Uh, I guess you could say uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, I don't know chickens don't uh, chickens are a little bit wider so they have a, mm-hmm. they, they don't have as much of the slow fiber in them now fish swim and burst and are supported by water so they can uh, have the fast fibers now sharks which must con- swim continuously all the time they actually aren't, can cannot be all fast fiber because they, mm-hmm. they don't they have to swim continuously. So some of the bigger fish tend to have some slow fibers in them, which would explain
1: my tuna, salmon, things like yeah, that. Yeah, they have they have slow fibers and,
2: and they and so they're a little they're a little bit more oilier and they're darker and they they taste different. Exactly. And So that's the difference between the white the fish and the dark fish and the animals that you find on the land. Now let's talk. I got one room. I got time for just one quick article. Yep. I think. Yep, you do. Uh, with, they, they've come up with a new anode for, um, for um, lithium-ion batteries, and this will triple the capacity of the lithium-ion battery. It actually is a, it's a compound uh, that's made with nanoparticles. It's carbon oxide, zinc oxide, para, uh, iron oxide uh, compound. And it actually triples the capacity of it and it, and it, and it allows them to cycle five times more. It's a great breakthrough. For electric vehicles. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at Talk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And check out our programs at www.stratford.edu.
1: That's it for this week. See you next week for more Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FMHD2, 1039 FMHD2, south and west of Washington, 1077 FMHD2, and in Loudoun County, you can hear us on 104.5 FM.